Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 81 for Monday, March 23rd, 2020. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is a modern man in a modern city. It's Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> a modern city that's about to get dumped on with snow. Uh, and if, <laughs> if that's not Canada enough for you, then you can listen to The Render Distance, our pre-show conversation where we talk about Canada, the UK, uh, different podcasts we can recommend where you're probably spending an extra amount of time at home lately, as well as some D&D tidbits. So check that out at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. That's the one. Um, yeah, so aside from the, the modern city that's about to get dumped on with snow, you have another modern city that you're working on, and I, I managed to catch a part of your stream the other day, and it's looking really great. Like, I'm really excited by some of the stuff you're building there. Do you want to talk us through what you've been doing lately? Sure, thanks, man. Uh, I really appreciate the compliment, too, and it was um, it was a fun experience, because, of course, you, you sent over a lovely raid from your, your Twitch stream, and uh, I had just finished, or was just about to finish, uh, the, the cafe on the Citadel server. And many people have asked, is it going to be called the Citadel Cafe? Probably. Probably, yeah. yes, it's going to be called the Citadel Cafe. But uh, this was the first modern build that I completed outside and inside all together, kind of like cohesively. I've been doing a lot of framing, a lot of like building balconies, but it's a hollow building, you know, like the concrete makers inside the apartment building. There's not, all floors do not contain decorated apartments. Um, and any decorated apartments I have done are like, placeholders it's like mm -hmm. slab that's a table uh stair that's a chair uh countertop four blocks like i just i have not put any kind of effort into block selection or detail or lighting or anything like that it's just to kind of get like i wanted to know how big an apartment would be so that i wanted to know what how big a building would be if i put four apartments next to each other on one floor yeah um but this cafe is small it's maybe 10 by 10 it might it might be more like a, a 13 by 13 square so it's mm -hmm. not not huge it has a small little five by five patio with three tables they all got like flower pots on them and there's a vine and there's some lattice work where uh, a, a handcrafted you know vine and bush plant has kind of snaked its way up over the scaffolding um i'm most happy with the coffee cup sign on the front <laughs> yeah it, it wasn't planned but i looked at that space and i thought you know with quartz stairs and slabs and a little ingenuity, I might be able to fit a coffee cup up there. And it got to the point where, like, if I couldn't fit a convincible, like, a, a convincing coffee cup there, I was going to make the building bigger. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was going to make, I was going to make the signage larger and sacrifice a block or two of the patio just, just to get this coffee cup. But it worked out great. Uh, so one of those happy accidents. And so it's like a brown terracotta building with a white frame, and it's got this white coffee cup which i think is a really cool way to do signage in minecraft i yeah. much prefer the idea of a picture or a visual pixel art thing as opposed to a sign mm -hmm. uh which is going to be one of the four five or six wood types that either will or won't match you know your your build um and in a modern city having a wooden sign feels a little bit strange <laughs> so um so i did that and then inside it's got a couple of different things that i really enjoy there is a modern art piece on the wall which is a combination of cyan concrete and glazed brown terracotta which has like the blues and the cyans in it yeah and 
I didn't put them all together like I separated them out. It's kind of like stripes of concrete and stripes of terracotta, glazed terracotta, and rotated things to be the right way. And I'm really happy with the way that it turns out. It really honestly looks like the kind of abstract art that you just kind of see hanging on the wall in Starbucks, like the the kind of like mass-produced um, bed, bath, and beyond kind of like yeah, hanging totally. the six-foot thing here. It, it just was... kind of has this like nondescript feel to it. It was the detail that stood out to me when you were walking around. You were trying to kind of get the cash register to work. And I was oh, like, wait yeah. a minute, what was that on the wall? And I, you, t you sort yeah. of turned around to take a look at it. And yeah, the um, I think the, the kind of cyan color blends really well into the pattern and makes it look like the pattern is kind of coming out of nowhere instead of there just being a really hard line between the terracotta block and the block next to it, which is the hardest thing to do when yeah. it comes to glazed terracotta because it's such a sudden textural transition between a lot of the other blocks being either relatively plain or repetitive textures. They have so much yep. detail crammed into them that yep. it's a shock to the eyes. And what you've done is actually blend it really well with the blocks around it um and it kind of creates a much smoother transition which makes it look like it it sits there in place but you're right it is totally like the kind of like the very cookie cutter art that you get on the wall of a costco or a, 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 a costa or a starbucks cafe yeah, kind of thing giant prints like stretched over canvases you know like mm -hmm. they're meant to look like art but they're really just you know printed reproductions of things and yeah um but yeah thanks man like it was a lot of fun and i, I tried to put some functionality into the cafe uh, when it was all said and finished i realized there was no bathroom so um <laughs> you have to go upstairs to the second floor to use the bathroom in the cafe but that's fine yeah. um that is typical I've, I've, of minecraft builds in general though i feel like we rarely put yeah. toilets in because like there's no well, need there's for no it good, in the, well, the functionality of the game yeah and there's and there's also no good toilet block like i kind of i've got i should say that one of the things that has helped this build considerably is that i'm running two data packs on the Citadel that are helping a lot posable armor stands uh and uh tables and chairs data pack from chuck chuck so the tables and chairs uh, requires both a data pack and a texture pack and i have a custom texture pack where i've taken his very ornate chairs and turned them into like the most barest of minecraft like wood chair mm -hmm. uh kind of like the chairs that you would see at a starbucks and so um those in the cafe instead of um pressure plates on fence posts and stairs help it quite a bit um, the other thing that I find very useful is that the armor stands, um, a lot of people would be familiar with them on Hermitcraft. Um, they have a preset thing where you can show the arms, the armor stand, put an item in the hand and then say, place flat on surface or place flush with surface. And so what I've done is that I've created two glass, I've got two glass blocks and then I've sunk the armor stands into the glass blocks with bread, carrots and kelp <laughs> in their hands. Mm -hmm. And it looks, it looks like fresh bread and veggies like in in a glass case when you go to a cafe yeah and and so it just those little details do really help um i'm pretty proud of the the hopper blast furnace and brewing stand that's in the background that looks like a coffee maker uh, like <laughs> yeah. stuff stuff like that uh one thing that i found was really effective is just using plain stone like regular minecraft stone now that we have stairs and slabs in that using that for like heating duct uh stove exhausts uh fans like that kind of a thing like when you look up in those coffee shops they're often like exposed ductwork yeah um and so like the, i did that and i found that really effective which is really cool especially with the half slabs because then it doesn't have to be a whole block which just looks really chunky yeah um and then what was the other thing that i was using oh the loom the the side of the loom they're not stocked but it looks like shelving 
Yeah. Um, there's nothing on them, but like it sort of gets the idea that it was either a cupboard or it's an empty shelf or whatever. And I was using a, a looms in combination with like the, the spruce trap doors. Looks like, oh, that's a cupboard where they might keep some beans or something and mm-hmm. like all this kind of stuff. The, the things that I find difficult are things like tabletops and you're trying to, trying to find something that looks like, you know, uh, the place where you stir your coffee, like the spoons and like there's, no, there's nothing like that in Minecraft that really kind of gives you a lot of life. I know um, Whip, friend of the show, uh, has retextured some of the paintings in Minecraft. Uh, to work for his medieval builds where it looks like pots and pans hung on the wall. Yeah, yeah. In, in, instead of a painting. And I'm I'm considering doing something like that with paintings for the modern city because we'll be able to move into um, putting like a flat screen TV on a wall, um, having some some utensils in a kitchen. I think that might help it a little bit. Um, it's the kind of thing that you're not going to sit there and noodle over, but it's the kind of thing when you walk through the room or walk by the cafe, it's just like, oh yeah, there's stuff in the cupboard. Like there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's food on the counter. Um, and then the last thing of course, that it's, it's, it's functional. Uh, it's got some redstone in it. Uh, when you press the button at the cash register, there's a dropper in the floor that spits a speed potion. <laughs> a <swiftest laughs> nice. potion. So there's, there's your um, coffee. There's yeah. Your, it doesn't splash you. Espresso. It doesn't splash you because I feel like, you know, baristas throwing coffee at you would be an unwelcome <laughs> experience. But but it does put a single um, uh, speed uh, swiftness one potion into your inventory with an extension of uh, eight minutes. So you can run around the city at uh, at blinding speed because we already have I don't know if they stack anymore, but you, speed one plus we've got swiftness on the beacons. So. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So you can zip around pretty, pretty, uh, in a pretty fun way. But beyond that, uh, things are coming together really well. We, I, I've moved on to uh, Cosmic Dancer built a visitor center and she wasn't super happy with it. And she wanted me to incorporate it into the base of this, um, this building. I keep on forgetting what they're called. They're like pedestal buildings. Um, and so now we have a visitor center with a plan to have a map of the city. And I'm excited to do that. Uh, my, we're using real Minecraft maps and putting a great big, like map of the seat. Like when you walk in, when you walk into, uh, into this visitor center, you're going to be able to look up and we're going to use banners and the labeling of banners, which I know you covered in, on, um, the survival guide to label, like, you know, this is the bank, this is gas busters, you know, like this is the train station, like this is where you can buy fish. Like, so we're going to have all this kind of stuff labeled around, which I think should be, should be really, really fun. Um, but yeah, like that, it's, that was it for, for the, for the city. It's, it's, Something that I've been really enjoying. It's very slow. I'm one of the few people building in the city. I've been doing, I'm getting a lot of help support from other people on the server, but people haven't really pulled the trigger much on building, except for Cosmic. Cosmic has done this beautiful park, and I'm really looking forward to doing more greenery. Like, I've been, I'm kind of, I'm not spent on buildings, but I need to do some landscaping. Like, I'm yeah. feeling, I'm feeling like I've done enough bulldozing, and I need to start putting the green back in like one of my favorite things about this cafe is the hanging vine outside and so i want to start doing more of that and i need to i've never done custom trees in minecraft there's a lot of stuff surprisingly that i'm realizing that i haven't done in minecraft and so interiors is one and then custom trees and doing stuff like that is another and so i want to try and get into that so i've been looking up references and pinterest and wow there's a minecraft rabbit hole you want to know how to spend some time right now um looking up build ideas on pinterest wow (laughs) <laughs> I lost 90 minutes the other day. Not lost. I mean, it was research, but like I, it flashed, went by in a heartbeat. But so that, I mean, that's, a, that's uh, what's going on with me. What, uh, what have you been up in the survival guide? Uh, well, if you want landscaping, um, <laughs> the, 
The mountain project continues apace. We are definitely past the halfway point, which is a very gratifying feeling nice. considering I've already put over 150,000 stone into this thing. It's Good absurd. Lord. I've been keeping track of it loosely in the stats. I didn't quite take a note of how much I had to start with before I placed the first stone of the mountain, but I'm fairly certain, yeah, I'm, I'm over 150, maybe 160,000 stone at this point. Um, I have started building a dwarven base on the inside, mainly because I wanted to build a honeyblock redstone door that opened up a vertical part of the cliff that I'd built. I built something with a bit more of an overhang, and there was this kind of almost aperture-looking section of the wall that where it kind of made made the wall kind of concave for a little bit, and I thought, we can just stick some honey blocks and slime blocks to the back of that and have it split apart uh, so that both sides of it, you know, exit in opposite directions and it becomes this enormous entrance to a to a dwarf ruin is what I'm really building because I, I kind of want it to give the impression that this was abandoned long ago and then the modern people have come in and that's they've the, they're the ones who have made this mountain into a ski resort, but maybe the mountain has a history that they haven't been able to uncover. Um... So there's a, a loose lore coming together about the mountain itself, but I thought that was a good excuse to build effectively what's like a giant bridge descending into this cavern that is now forming underneath the mountain, because the mountain itself is completely hollow. And I've had to do a lot of lighting up, <laughs> because obviously as the, the, the ground below this mountain build darkens, it just inevitably spawns a ton of mobs, so I've been running around spamming torches when I can. Um, but yeah, it's it's been going pretty well. It's been going gradually on Twitch streams, and I never do any building for it off camera. I'm always building it on streams specifically, otherwise I just wouldn't get it done because there's either too much to do or I have to spend my time doing other things, so it's content for, for videos. But that's coming together quite well, and the near future of that is going to be connecting all of these separate sort of shells of these mountains together. I started building them all upwards from opposite directions, and now I've got to figure out how they join in a way that creates a kind of valley that people can ostensibly ski down. So that's the next real challenge of this build, but uh, all in all, it's looking more and more impressive every day. I'm still incredibly happy that I've undertaken something this large, even though it's a lot of effort. I feel like it's going to be so rewarding stepping back after having applied snow to the mountaintops and, and really getting a feel for how it looks at a distance. And even right now, if you stand in the sort of loose center of the ski resort town that I've just built the kind of rough box shapes where, uh, you know, cafes and uh, and shops and stuff are going to go and ski uh, sort of ski pass offices and stuff like that. If you look up towards the mountains and the render distance is high enough, it looks tremendous, I think, so nice. far. So really happy with it. Um, it's really cool to create like picturesque stuff like that in Minecraft. I've, I've got a mountain near my um my swamp base that i haven't touched it just happens to be this aesthetic minecraft mountain and it's yeah. one of those things where like i'm really glad i built the swamp base there and i'm really glad that i just haven't like i haven't it's untouched you know like it, yeah. just, it looks like it looks like the natural kind of stuff that you're building and it really does add to your experience in the game when there's like a hazy you know mountain in the distance because so much of the game i mean there's a lot of mountain biomes i guess but so much of the game depending on where you build uh, often people build in planes because there's less stuff to remove um, can be very pl flat so yeah. unless you luck out and your planes are next to a mountain then um, you don't have that experience of having that like massive looking thing in the background yeah and um, having watched some of your streams and seeing it come together like I just it's that's exciting it's, it's such a it I feel like one of the things that we have the greatest control over in Minecraft and and some of the I think some of the better builders out there and I say you know, better with 
quotation marks because I know it's all subjective, but like, I think one of the things that you hear often is what you're talking about, which is controlling the player's gaze yeah, and, and the player's experience. So it's less about, it's less about, oh, cool. That's a really cool build. And it's more about like revealing that build when you enter an area when you walk by the ski offices and you see it out the window, like mm-hmm. that, like that's the kind of thing that takes Minecraft building, I think, to the next level because it becomes that more immersive. Yeah, just being able to see it out of the giant front window I've built in this kind of modern house that I sort of call the lodge, uh, colloquially. Nice. Uh, yeah, like you can you can now have that as part of the background, and on your left you've got like a nice big fireplace and this kind of open plan living area, and then out of the window on the right hand side you have this massive view of the slope of a mountain in the distance and yeah it just adds context i think is the most important thing and it's the thing that lacks it is kind of lacking from you know maybe less experienced players builds where you just kind of want to plonk down a house here a house there you're just building stuff as it occurs to you you're not necessarily planning out a larger area or thinking about the directions in which your player is going to be walking and so what you want to see going down specific streets and that kind of thing and it's something fwhip is a master of um oh, and yeah. I, i've taken a lot of inspiration from this for this mountain build and and a couple of sort of vague instructions about how you should start planning this stuff out from him and it's really paid off uh so so all the shout outs to him i feel like we mentioned him on every episode now but yeah. it's kind yeah. of like par for the course with this mountain build yeah. um share the love I'll, I'll give a shout out to mythical sausage too because uh, he he talks about the same sort of stuff in his videos definitely yeah um and they just started their new smp so go look up legacy nice. smp if you're interested in seeing more of these guys um as, aside from that all of the uh stone from this is coming from a cobblestone farm with a tnt duplicator and an auto smelter that i built a while ago but i've just spent some time reproducing effectively the same setup on a smaller scale in my skyblock world now and uh, farming cobblestone automatically in Skyblock is such a relief when you've started out having to farm cobblestone manually for so long. And even with a little bit of assistance from a piston setup that's kind of pushing the, uh, the, the cobblestone towards me so I can just hold down the left click button, it still means I have to mine it manually and I can't do anything else while that is happening. So now having got to the point where I can build a TNT duplicator in Skyblock, which involved me trying to get a coral fan from an area with tropical fish, (laughs) which is uh, easier said than done, but I managed it. Um, I'm now able to produce cobblestone automatically in the background. And that's not just for building material, it's also for redstone components, which are really like things like observers and pistons take up way more cobblestone than you realize until you have to build a sugarcane farm when you have no natural terrain around you to mine out for cobblestone and you realize okay i'm actually going to have to use several stacks of cobblestone if i want to build anything more than a basic two or three plant sugarcane farm so Mm. at this point i am now um getting to the stage where large-scale redstone automation is possible purely thanks to the fact that i have more cobblestone not even the fact that i've um you know, progressed a little bit and beaten the dragon and got an iron farm and stuff. Cobblestone is now the key to a lot of the stuff I want to do. So being able to farm that automatically is going to be, yeah, crucial to the next few episodes of Skyblock, which is, yeah, my, my other project. And it's kind of a nice relief from uh, building all the terrain uh, in, in the survival guide is now having no terrain in Skyblock is almost zen by comparison. Uh, but we'll see how that world shapes up. And some people have said, you know, the, the end game for Skyblock is basically you build a Minecraft landscape. And so I'm kind of wondering if I'm going to get that far or if I'm just going to content myself with building as many super efficient automatic farms as I can. 
I, I, in one hand, I missed the Skyblock play, but I think I, I enjoyed the early game because I haven't done that in a long time. But yeah. once I reached that grindy mid game, I was just like, I, I've got enough grindy happening in this modern city. Like I don't <laughs> need to return to Skyblock. And I think, I mean, I might go back to it. I might, I might get stuck creatively in the modern city. I might have to do a lot of research on some part and just not be ready to progress. And I might go back to Skyblock because I, I might be in the mood to play Minecraft, but I might not be in the mood to like research and move to the modern city. So I might get back to it, but, but yeah, I can see that bottleneck being a thing in Skyblock where it's like, I would, I'm much more content in Skyblock to focus on farming and technical stuff. Um, I think maybe because it has that advantage of the void, you know? Yeah. 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 As, uh, once you can build farms at the void level where you're getting super fast mob spawns. And if you have mm. say like a river biome that you can isolate to make a drowned farm without having to worry about what height you're doing, that that's immensely freeing. Um, being able to farm squid instantly <laughs> because there are no other ocean areas around also very cool so yeah it's uh it's it's an ongoing progress right now but it's it's definitely uh it's coming together pretty well um i'm gonna move us on to the news because we have a couple of things related to the nether update that we can focus on and some stuff from this is going to tie into our main discussion for later so uh let's kick it off first of all some good news for bedrock edition players the nether update beta has come to bedrock edition as of last monday so around the time we were putting out the podcast they released it uh, for beta play on Windows 10, Xbox One, and Android platforms. Uh, a quick reminder that uh, Nintendo Switch, PS4, and I think iOS devices and some other mobile devices that can play Minecraft are not able to access the beta because those platforms don't allow beta versions of software to be distributed. So you're only able to get access to the beta if you're on Windows 10, Xbox One, and Android. A link to the Minecraft.net article about this will be in the show notes, and there's a link that you can click through to from that that will explain how to sign up for the beta if you're a Bedrock player and you want to try out these features. But basically it's added everything that existed in the Java Edition snapshots as of Monday, March 16th, and including polished basalt before it arrived in Java Edition, which it later did in the snapshot that was released later that week. Um, a quick note about the Bedrock Edition Nether update, it's actually going to be numbered version 1.16. Uh, the next update was due to be 1.15, uh, but we had a couple of the community managers, including Aubrey Norris, who is at Chupacabre on uh, Twitter, confirming that they are skipping over 1.15 as a version number to basically bring Bedrock version numbering in line with Java. So there's going to be no more confusion about when people are talking about 1.16, what do they mean, do they mean two updates from now or one update from now? And I'm hoping that's going to be um, yeah, less confusing for Bedrock and Java players going forward when people are asking, what version is this? And you answer with a number. Uh, it's going to make a lot more sense for people. Worth um, remembering, too, that uh, Java players that bought um, the Java edition before October 19th, 2018 can get the edition of Xbox, iOS, Android, and uh, Windows 10 for free. Yes, uh, on, on Windows 10, you can get the uh, the download code, which I think we covered in a in a previous episode. But we will. I'll try and find a link to the page where you can uh, you can get hold of that as well. I have um, it right here. Great. Uh, so yeah, Java Edition Snapshots 20W12A was released uh, last Wednesday, March 18th, and has added a bunch of features, including a respawn anchor block, which lets you set a spawn point in the Nether. It has to be charged up to four times by right-clicking on it with glowstone, but then you right-click on it with anything else in your hand or an open hand, and you set your spawn point there much the same as right-clicking on a bed does. Um, the <laughs> respawn anchor block, much like beds do in the nether, explodes if you try and use it to set your spawn in either the overworld or the end. So it is only possible to set your spawn point in the nether with this thing. 
we have the polished basalt that I mentioned in the uh, Bedrock Edition snapshot was also in this Java snapshot. Uh, it is obtained by smelting basalt blocks in a furnace and you get effectively a pillar version of, of basalt. Uh, warped and crimson nylium can now be bone meals to regrow vegetation, including fungi, making warped and crimson fungi renewable. Hose are now the appropriate tool for sponges and wet sponges, along with some of the other stuff that hose are now more efficient at mining. Bees have been adjusted to only wander a maximum of 22 blocks away from their home hive or nest. Nether gold ore, which was added last week, can be mined with any pickaxe now and will drop gold nuggets, but it still provides a full gold ingot if you silk touch the block and then smelt it. Parrots, which were imitating hostile mobs a whole bunch before, will imitate them less often and they no longer do so on peaceful difficulty where hostile mobs do not spawn. And a couple of changes happened, uh, one of these being kind of a bug fix, the other one being a, a kind of more of a gameplay change. Uh, treasure loot can now only be obtained from fishing if the bobber is in open water. It's a move that's been designed to eliminate the current AFK fish farm designs, which Mojang considered unbalanced. And Sliced Lime uh, posted in the Reddit thread about this, confirming that a three, uh, sorry, a five by three by five, so five block, five by five horizontally and three blocks vertically area around the fishing bobber has to be clear of obstructions, waterlogged blocks, and blocks above the bobber. So no more kind of uh, trip wires, no more pressure plates and stuff nearby. You can't have waterlogged fences and some of the stuff that was allowing you to create one of those compact AFK fishing farms before. Uh, some notable bug fixes this time around include uh, several non-ticking blocks marking as ticking, uh, which forced the growth algorithm to check chunks needlessly, and chorus flowers, um, bamboo, sugarcane, and cactus, and other plants of similar types growing instantly when the supporting block was replaced with the same block type. These two combined, I believe, are the things that fix zero-tick farms for plant types like chorus flowers, bamboo, and sugarcane. Um, this was hinted at previously, and the technical community has actually rallied around Mojang to encourage them to fix this kind of thing because it was seen as a little bit overpowered, and so those are now fixed in this update. Uh, there are a couple of other notable bug fixes that I thought were interesting, including grass and mycelium uh, previously not decaying underwater. They now do again, so grass and mycelium will revert to dirt if they're at the bottom of a river, for example. And bees becoming stuck wandering to the northwest after completing a task, or randomly, if there were large numbers of bees, uh, has now been fixed as well. And that's kind of tied into the bees not wandering too far away from the hives. Also, I think in general, mobs have been less likely to wander in a specific direction now. Yeah, I think it, it was one of those weird cases where just mathematically that was a direction they were more likely to, to pathfind in. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's been balanced out. And it's going to be great for bees as well, because I've definitely noticed when I've been flying around away from my bee farms, there's just a bee out in a swamp somewhere that I'm like, you, you, you're not yeah. from here. Where is, where, where have you, <laughs> where have you come from? And it's just like, uh, either like they've just decided to pathfind in one direction or because I've loaded chunks in a certain way, they haven't been able to go back into an unloaded chunk and they've just kind of continued in mm. the same direction they could pathfind. Mm -hmm. We have some news from Minecraft Dungeon Diaries on YouTube. It's about lore. Uh, the Minecraft Dungeons game designer Max Herngren and executive producer David Nissigan, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, uh, talk about the lore behind Minecraft Dungeons and the challenge of adding that kind of backstory to an open world sandbox IP where traditionally the players have invented their own stories. Narrative does continue to grow and will hopefully do so over time as they plan to add to the game in the future. As usual, it's a short, short watch. It's about five minutes. I would encourage everybody to go check it out. 
Yeah, uh, I had a look at that before we started the uh, the show today, and I really like the look of what they're doing. And it, it, like you said, it's really interesting that they are now adding story into a game that has traditionally had no story, or the players have been allowed to invent in their minds whatever the story is. And it's much more a narrative about this central arch-illager character and what happens as a result of his actions. And so that there's there's a lot kind of going on there, but it's not necessarily going to then explain what everything in Minecraft is there for, for example. Yeah. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's mainly just like telling a narrative around the events that Minecraft Dungeons is seeking to depict. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's effectively just setting up something that the players can act in Minecraft Dungeons and, and kind of have a little bit of fun with. And games like this sort of require a story, I think, in order to be successful for the most part. There at least has to be some sort of loose objective stringing the players along. So it's good to see that they've put some thought into that and how it's going to impact the whole lore of Minecraft in general. And what I found uh, after watching it was that uh, Herngren was talking often about how the player feels mm -hmm. and the, the good feelings of doing the right thing um, and how that affects your gameplay. And I think that that's an interesting... So there, like, it's an interesting way to focus on it because rather than plot-driven or um, world, like you're not, you're not necessarily changing the world. It doesn't sound like it's it. It sounds like it's more of a moral compass adventure. Yeah, potentially. So, which is a good way to do it because then it affects. It's like they're saying we're not telling your story. You're telling your story. We're telling the story of the world, but it's the dungeons world, which it's visually very grand in terms of the, the the feel of it but then also very narrowly focused on the arch illager yeah and i think that's a great way to do it it keeps it contained it presents the minecraft world as like okay well this is the quote-unquote planet that we're on this is the 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 world of the ip that we're in but the story that you're in is this story not the story it's this story. And I think it's an interesting way to do it. It was a, it was a cool uh, conversation they had about like, you know, the parallels between uh, d dungeons and, and Minecraft. And they, they actually said that um, the, the clearest connection between the two games is actually the mobs. So you're taking things like zombies and skeletons from Minecraft and putting them in Minecraft dungeons because they're familiar to players. They're going to be operating in the same sort of way. Zombies are kind of moan and kind of like have their arms out and kind of walk towards you and try to hit you. Skeletons are going to try to shoot you from afar. Um, but they had this kind of like back and forth like, well, if we add new mobs to dungeons, what does that mean? Or what could that mean if they were ever brought back to Minecraft? They didn't say they were going to do it. They said like, these are the kind of questions that we have to consider before we add a mob to dungeons. And that to me was kind of a cool thing. It's like, well, they're they're thinking about this, but they're thinking about this very carefully because I think one of the, the things that they don't want to set the precedent for is like, if, for example, they take something that's very key, like I can't remember what it was called, but it's some sort of big redstone monster that we saw in the trailer. If that was somehow brought to Minecraft, it would be very difficult to then separate your experience from Minecraft dungeons from Minecraft. Like if you had your entire world built up and you had all this history, but then something from this other game that is so specific to that game is brought into Minecraft, it might affect, well, it's like, well, that doesn't work with my world. Like that yeah. doesn't work with my story. So it seems like they're taking advantage of, or not taking advantage, they're paying attention to that kind of like connections that players are going to inevitably draw um, because the games look so similar and they're built on the same sort of IP. And 
something that I really enjoyed from um, Herngren's insight was about the end of the game. Now, he didn't spoil anything. And, and I feel like because they're getting closer and closer to release, this video was the least informative. Um, yeah. As of late, it was a lot of fluff talk. Like they weren't, they're kind of dancing around certain things. Uh, it felt like stuff we kind of already knew. But uh, Herngren did say he hopes players will be surprised and pleased at the choices that they have to make as the story wraps up, uh, but also points towards where they're going next. Uh, as obviously Minecraft would like to, or Mojang would like to um, add to um, Dungeon. Yeah. I, I just, I loved how he talked about it. He just, he seemed, it felt, the story has a, to me, sounds like it has a lot of heart, which I think is cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got a lot of emphasis, he seemed to say, on like how the players act as heroes. And so, yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely got like a, a certain element of like a moral compass to it, like you said, which, yeah. which seems really interesting. And I, I'm especially interested in the fact that he says like where they're going next with this and whether that means mm -hmm. more content for dungeons, whether that means a, a sequel to dungeons or maybe even a game of another type that kind of ties in with the expansion to Minecraft that they seem to be branching out with, with these sort of different different types of game releases it's yeah. it's really cool to see that kind of take on it especially when we don't get as much insight into the developer process through video content like this that's kind of structured around uh minecraft itself the core experience we only get that maybe like once a year at minecon when they tell us what they've been working on and then we get to see snapshots of it and blog posts but it's not quite the same as the developers sitting down and telling us their kind of ethos when it comes to this game and like the yeah. the approach they're taking and why they're making the choices that they're making is is kind of interesting. I so, like this approach better. Like I I, <laughs> I I like well, I mean I don't mean that in a, in like a, a grubby news way. I just I like seeing behind the curtain. Like I like hearing and seeing the artists and people. And and you're not seeing 30 40 people paraded in front of the camera it's a small team yeah you know um there's more than two people in the video but those were the two people that talk the most is the why talking I heads them. yeah 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 but but it, but it's it's it was nice to uh it's nice to kind of put a face to the people that are developing the game and seeing the thought and the the time and the the i think the the measure i think is how what i took from it um that's being put into it mm -hmm. um but, but besides like say moving on to the the snapshot besides afk fish farms and the farming stuff which we'll talk about later what stood out to you from this week's snapshot uh, to be honest, the respawn anchor, I think it's a very well-designed block. It looks pretty cool. Um, it's definitely got that kind of arcane symbolism to it in the same way that stuff like a beacon has. Um, and it's well-implemented as far as I'm concerned. Like, I like the fact that you set a limited amount of respawns. It's actually pretty smart, because I know for a fact that if a ghast was hanging around your respawn point, you would very easily get stuck in a death loop. You respawn with nothing, the ghast immediately fireballs you, you're on fire, you're panicking, it happens again and again and again. But then once this thing runs out of respawn charges, you respawn back in the overworld again. And it stops you getting stuck in a death loop for more than, I guess, four lives, which is, is nice and kind of well thought through considering the player could be put in much more dangerous situations in the nether it stops your spawn point being griefed and so forth so yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and the community has found some interesting functionality with the respawn anchor you can read them with comparators so you can actually get a sense of how full the uh the glowstone counter is that's allowing you to respawn there and I, I was watching a couple of videos where um, Doc M and the Psycraft guys were mus uh, mucking around with these things and they'd created a kind of lives left indicator using redstone lamps 
and a comparator output from the respawn anchor and that was allowing them to track effectively like how many lives you had left if you were playing a mini game where you respawn at that spawn point in the nether so nice. you can you can actually use it for functional stuff outside of just yeah this is a survival thing where if you want a base in the nether this is where you're going to respawn if you die or if you return from the end or something like that you can use it for uh, minigame purposes, which is going to be really interesting to implement in uh, in other versions, I think. Well, especially if you build a box around it and and you can create your own uh, player lobby in the mm -hmm. Nether, right? Like, because you could decorate it however you want. Like, you yeah. just build a, you could build a bright white box, you know, like uh, <laughs> like you've died <laughs> and you show up in a in a bright white room with mm -hmm. the exception of, of the, the the respawn anchor uh and then just kind of go through a portal and go back to the overworld where then you would continue on with the minigame um it's really interesting i yeah i especially if i guess it's only the one anchor because it's i was thinking it would be neat if you could spawn at different ones like if you've put glowstone if you the player have put one glowstone in each anchor mm -hmm. um do you know do we know how it works if you put a piece of glowstone in the anchor and i put a piece of glowstone in the anchor does that then both of us would respawn once at that it, anchor you only set your spawn point if you right click on it after it's filled up with glowstone uh but i think the glowstone is universal oh. so it's not sort of like an ender chest where it only applies to your specific player it's anyone who is spawning there is going to use up a charge of it if they respawn there um, and it's oh. not just deaths that use up charges as well. If you come back from the end to that spawn point in the nether and you respawn there, that's still going to oh, consume a charge. That's still going to consume a charge, right? Yeah. So, well, that's that's some convenient fast travel then. Yes, uh, definitely. As long as you remember to refill, to refill your your spawn anchor, then yeah, and I think that there could is be really cool. There is actually some call from the community at this point to because the glowstone adding into it doesn't have to be specifically one player it can be anybody it's just whoever's yeah. set their spawn point there gets to use it people are asking if uh the comparator output can be hooked up to a dispenser and the dispenser could add glowstone into the thing automatically so it automatically refills whenever you respawn there without you having to worry about collecting the glowstone up and and right clicking on it um, and it remains to be seen whether they're going to act on that suggestion, but I don't see there being too many downsides other than, of course, the perpetual respawn problem if that dispenser stays intact. Well, yeah, and I, it takes some of the gameplay out of it. Like it takes, you know, it's like, it's like having four lives, you know, like if, it's like having four lives in a, in a platformer and you have to treat those as precious, you know, like, so I, I can mm -hmm. sort of, I can sort of see it. But uh, at the same time, it would be neat if you're, if you're using it for, for nether travel as opposed to as opposed to like a respawn point you know yeah. like if, you, if for example like you know you have something really far away and you set your respawn point at this place in the nether and then you travel back and then to get way you know two thousand blocks or, or four thousand blocks whatever people consider far uh you go through the end which is close to you yeah uh exit through the exit portal and then pop up 4,000 blocks away in, in the nether, um, which could be 8,000, you know, more than that, um, you know, like 24,000 blocks in, uh, in the overworld. Like that, that, that could be really interesting. I just, I, I don't know how reusable it would be or if you would, like you said, if you would want to always do that, that would be a pain in the butt. If it, forget dying, if you, if you're just respawning thousands of blocks away because the dispenser was continuously refueling the thing mm -hmm. I, I feel like there could be some loop problems there but i like the look of it uh, as well um i can't help but he like feel i know it's a portal animation just kind of turned on its side on the top mm -hmm. of it and it looks great but it 
for whatever reason, I never thought about it this way. But now that it's in a container, it looks like melted ender pearls. <laughs> it kind of does. It's like, like liquid liquid ender kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've got a custom texture that I, I picked up from Jersey Boy that turns my ender pearls purple. They're not green. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just looks like melted purple ender pearls because I've got that on my brain now. And I, I just kind of, it, it harkens to like, you know, cauldrons from Disney movies filled with like boiling purple and pink stuff with smoke and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So like, yeah, I, I, I quite like the look of it. I thought the sounds were really neat too. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, and Jappa, by the way, while we're still on the texture, pointed out that the portal animation actually goes the opposite way to how it does in the nether portal and the particles oh. go the opposite way as well. Um, so, so there's actually like a, a right. conscious choice has been made to reverse those so that people, A, don't get confused and think it's a little portal I can jump into, um, but right. to kind of imply that it's one way. So stuff comes out of it, but doesn't go into it, uh, mm. which I thought was quite mm. an interesting decision, quite how that bears on the players kind of immediate assumptions about that block. We will see, but, um, yeah, it seems kind of I still, I still cool. want horizontal portals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, which we had an email about, I think, a few shows ago. And, uh, yeah, one other thing about this, it's crafted using uh, six crying obsidian and three glowstone in the kind of bookshelf-style formation where it's, yeah, crying, glow, uh, crying obsidian right, like on the top and bottom. Ice cream sandwich. And, yeah, ice cream sandwich style. So, um, yeah, you're still going to have to trade crying obsidian from pigmen. You're going to have to barter it from piglins in order to, um, to get hold of that in the first place. So if you want to access this, it's not going to be something that you can just go and dig up somewhere it does require you to interact with some of the new mechanics they've got in order to get hold of this next stage of the new content so it's mm. it's adding in some progression it's giving people a reason to barter with piglins i think that's overall pretty good for uh for the progression of the nether update yeah i mean i i quite like it i think uh it's a bit of a tease that it illuminates at four different light levels but then blows up in the overworld in the end yes <laughs> uh, so you can't use those light levels in places where you actually i mean want you can them. just don't right click on it afterwards <laughs> Oh, can you still, so it, it does, you can still load it up. Yes. Yeah, you can. Oh, okay. It, it's, it's just interacting with it without glowstone being involved is what's going to blow it up. So, uh, uh, yeah, you, you either have like something that you can effectively detonate at that point, or yeah, it's, um, it's, it's just an unfortunate accident if somebody happens to right click on it. Just don't build right. with them in your base if you've got people on your server who are inclined towards <laughs> griefing, because, or, or, or even just like have a trigger happy kind of right click, because then, yeah, yeah. They, will, they will accidentally right click on that and blow everything sky high. And we're talking bed explosion. Like, it's not small. Oh, yeah. This, it's yeah, the size of a... an end crystal or a charged creeper explosion. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's very big. It's um, a big hole. Um, I, I, I like the look of it again. I'm, I'm, I was hoping for a little 2001 A Space Odyssey <laughs> with, with the crying the obelisk obsidian. obelisk kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, the obelisk kind of thing. But I'm okay with it. I've seen, actually, I've seen uh, pictures of it where people have placed it on top of two or three other um, blocks of crying obsidian and sort yeah. of has that monolithic pillar feel. Yes. thing to it which i think is cool definitely speaking um, of speaking of monolithic pillars how do you feel about the uh the basalt um the pillar whatever it's called polished basalt i believe the sound effect that i will not do on mic is called a zerbert <laughs> uh, or a raspberry yes uh it's a log johnny it's I a mean, medium yeah. gray directional stone log now it's a very nice very well done medium gray directional stone log but that's not <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm I'm being selfish here. I I get that new blocks are good and new directional blocks are create interesting combinations of things. But I was really hoping that this was going to be a dark gray stone block, something with variants that exists in the game, like walls and stairs and slabs. And we might end up getting stairs and slabs yet. However, it operates an awful lot like a combination between a log and um, carved quartz. Is it chiseled uh, this, quartz? I think it, it, it's quartz. basically it's quartz pillar. 
is what it is. Yeah. It's, it's like an analog to quartz now, except quartz without color, the stairs, yeah. slabs, and the chiseled variants. And the chiseled variants. Yeah. And it's not, it's medium gray. Like, it is a hair darker, maybe. And I, I would say that it's not darker as a whole. It's got some darker bits to it. But when you look at it, it's still kind of a 50% gray, which is just going to blend in with everything else. So I, I, I'm hoping that they, they take an opportunity to, to change it into something that is going to be a, a dark gray. Like think about the kind of gray that you get with hoppers and cauldrons, uh, like maybe not even quite that dark, but like that kind of a thing. It's not black and it's not stone bricks. It's in between. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's basalt was going in that direction. And then this polished variant is just lighter. And it's like, no, don't make it lighter, make it darker. Um, and I, I basically what I'm, I was hoping for was something that's very similar to um, netherite blocks, you know, maybe not quite that, that texture, but like something similar to stone, not as fancy, a little bit more accessible, uh, something that could be built with in the nether and the overworld and kind of make all the medieval people super happy. Um, but also I think that there'd be uses for this in, in other places. And um, again, like it just, it's a very well done texture. I just feel like it's a lot more the same. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, really. Like like you, obviously, I, I want it to be darker. I'm so, I'm really hoping for something that will give us finally the, uh, the, the kind of dark gray or black slabs and stairs that we desperately need uh, mm-hmm. for modern roads and a number of other things. But I, I think it's, it would be really nice if it was treated as an analog to quartz and was given the same kind of like set of blocks that you could create from it. Um, and yeah, I, I like the end texture, uh, but that even even when you put the regular basalt and the the kind of new polished version side by side, they are different. But I almost feel they're not different enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's it's effectively like if you put one of them in isolation in a build somewhere and you put the other one in a different build i wouldn't be able to tell you which one was which if i didn't see the end texture so i I think it's the end texture that's really going to be the standout feature of this block and i feel like that shouldn't really be the case um it does make up for the fact that i don't think you can place the regular basalt texture like directionally i think it always has to be facing upwards right now i correct me if i'm wrong but i, I can't remember if that's the oh case or i not, thought it, i thought it was directional uh, i also don't know uh, i also don't know because i haven't seen it uh, or played with it yet but uh in terms of like actually in the game but if you stack them next to each other is it a seamless texture or does it have the dark edges to it that logs do like you know when you do uh stripped logs and you place them all in a fence next to each other you can still see the individual strips like you can see the the yeah. logs vertically there's they've got a dark corner it's a way to make the box look rounder um but if this if this one this, definitely if, still has the dark it still has the as dark well so it, 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 yeah. it sort of looks like a like a slightly more burned at the edges acacia log right now yeah exactly and this is what i mean like so it, it's directional but it's directional with you can only place it in one direction like you can't if if direction if the directional blocks did not have those dark edges then they would be more versatile because then you could put them in in a floor all one way and it, you could say oh i want to have it be like a flat texture like it looks like a polished piece of granite or a countertop you know yeah or uh, but you can't do that if you have more than like more than four of them together because then you can see the seam down the middle mm-hmm. and so like that so it, it's one of those things where like i thought the idea was to create blocks that are more versatile when you're creating the basic big square meter by meter blocks yeah um and i feel like in a lot of cases we're getting very narrow scope stuff um 
but again like i just this is the point where we get you know an opportunity to send creative and constructive feedback so let's that's my feedback is like you make it <laughs> make it more useful and not so single case and mm -hmm. i agree it looked like it you're right it looked like a petrified acacia log yeah um i will quickly follow up because i just just look it up on the minecraft wiki you can place the regular basalt directionally it just doesn't form that way in the natural terrain generation so right it when you find one of those basalt columns all of the blocks are kind of facing vertically the end vertically. textures are either up or right. down but once you mine it you can place it however you want that was just me misremembering because i haven't really played around with it much i've just seen it a couple of times in the snapshots and gone oh that's kind of cool yeah uh, one last thing about this, really. I'm very happy that fungi are renewable again. Um, it's oh, a very, yes. it's a very basic uh, fix for that, just allowing players to bone meal the terrain and grow the the roots uh, in the crimson and warped biomes. But also, the fungi will pop up occasionally, not every single time. But it's about as common as when you're trying to get flowers in a plains biome, and you just right click a few times so you can get a poppy or a dandelion to show up. Um, yeah. Yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense. Uh, it means stem farming is sustainable, so you can get all of the wood you want. You can transfer that to the overworld, and it stops players on multiplayer from just looting nearby regions of the Nether and leaving yep. them devoid of any mushrooms that you could pick up for yourself. Um, we should be ashamed because they're it's they're beautiful biomes, and I think in a lot of cases where they're so new and shiny, uh, in some multiplayer servers, people are going to be like, you know, let's mine this one, but not that one, you know. Yeah, and they've gone through a few different solutions for making these renewable, including having them be bartered from piglins. Um, mm -hmm. But I think this is just like, it's all around a nice way to do it. It means you kind of stay in, in contact with the natural side of things. You don't have to barter with piglins to get these things if you don't want to. Yep. Makes it accessible to players who haven't got hold of a large amount of gold that they want to give away and trade perpetually until they get fungi. You know, I think it, it makes a lot more sense this way. Also, so I'm very happy that, about that. Are piglins a hostile mob? Uh, they will be if you're not wearing gold. Right. So in peaceful, you wouldn't be able to barter with yeah, them to get again. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Very. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. So so this is provides it for peaceful. I, I also find it intuitive. Like people, by the time they get to the Nether, they're they've done bone milling before. Mm -hmm. So like the first thing that you want to do when you get to Nihilium is like, what does this do? Book. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it does as I expected. Awesome. It's to all different, vibrant, colorful stuff, but it does what I thought it would do. Yeah. I think that's that's a good way to go. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to save our discussion of the uh, AFK fish farms and stuff for just a second. But for now, I think we should probably move on to chunk mail. We do. And we have a very short email to get to this week. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. We have a new email address and it is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. If uh, all of you lovely people who share so much email with us, uh, which is a huge and wonderful problem to have. Uh, please send all future listener feedback and chunk mail submissions to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Why the change, you might be wondering. Well, we're actually going to get some help uh, to sort and reply to common questions. Uh, and uh, we needed a separate email account for that. Rest assured, emails sent to the other email address up until now have been read and are on file for potential future conversations, chunk mail dispensers. Uh, some replies have been sent already where they were warranted and they just, you know, it was a question that they had for us that just didn't really need to be read on the show. Um, but again, please send new emails to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. That is the address we are going to be checking for the show. 
the uh, the other email address is something that Johnny and I are, are going to be using. So uh, so spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Believe you, you will hear it a lot more mm-hmm. <laughs> in, the next, in the coming weeks. Uh, as Johnny and I have to remember to not not say the old one out of habit. Yes, um, I, I will definitely do that a couple of times. Um, yeah, yeah. Free, freely correct me when I make that mistake because... Yeah. yeah. And there's going to be a grace period where where we're going to forward them on to the new address and just, you know. Yeah, and we recognize that people are going to be listening back through old episodes and are probably going to get the email address from that instead of the newer ones. But yeah, yeah, going forward, if you're up to date, you'll know that that is our new email address. I'll be changing the website today as well when Mm -hmm. I do the show notes for this episode. So uh, email this week is from Freaky2374 regarding Biome Doggos. Hey, Joel and Johnny, just listened to the newest episode, episode 80, and I had some thoughts on dog breeds for Minecraft. If Moyang adds dog breeds to the game, I think they should make the dogs look different according to what biome they're in. A dingo in the savannah, a husky or arctic wolf in the snowy biomes, a golden retriever in the villages, or a Bernese mountain dog in the mountains. I just thought it was a cool idea. I would love to hear what you guys thought about it. Sincerely, Freaky2374. I thought this was a really fun idea. Cats are currently random. uh, Not often a gameplay mechanic I enjoy in the game, but uh, villager type varies based on where you breed the villagers. So if you want swamp villagers in that swamp garb, you have to breed them in the swamp. Uh, requiring the player to go to different biomes in search of the dog they want or to breed more of the dog that they want would, in my opinion, encourage exploration. So that's why I think that Freaky's idea is actually pretty good. Yeah, uh, yeah it I, does I lead me. That. Yeah, it does lead me to wonder what do we get for swamp dogs? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and do I get a poodle if I breed dogs in a flower forest? Like, I joking but it's also kind of like well you kind of have to is it all biomes is it only some biomes like there's there's some questions that i can understand why this might create some problems but uh i i do the more i think about this the more i think dogs need some love in in minecraft uh the cats have received it i'm waiting for i'm waiting for the dog people to to chime (laughs) to chime in. yes waiting for the dog people to rise up um yeah i i think it's weird for me because there has to be a a certain amount of suspension of disbelief that comes with this um separating the video game from reality a little bit uh because cats in the real world are quite independent animals and can live in the wild as strays it's not the ideal situation and a lot of stray cats out there in the world come from the pet population um but then if you found a stray dog and it was like a specific breed of dog my first thought is like where's your owner because uh, it feels it feels like what we're working with right now in minecraft is this wolves to dogs transition and it works for that primitive feel you have in early minecraft where you're using stone tools to chop down trees and you find a wolf in the forest and you tame it it's like effectively that's how dogs have been domesticated through the years whereas cats themselves have been largely unchanged throughout history the kind of the common joke is that like uh people adopt dogs but cats adopt people um and the cat will just kind of turn up and be like yeah i'm fine with this situation you can continue to feed me whereas dogs are (laughs) kind of raised to be subservient to humans um they've largely been shaped by human action like literally shaped in the case of like breeding for certain characteristics and dog breeds are in the real world, a result of selective breeding rather than, you know, a specific group of animals that was so diverse at first and has then, you know, it's it's kind of only diversified as we've had interactions with them. And so I wonder Mm. if maybe different dog breeds mechanically in Minecraft could be a result of breeding rather than finding them as strays in kind of the same way that horse characteristics currently work where you get a combination of the horse's appearance but also the horse's stats 
and I kind of wonder if selective breeding could work that way in Minecraft as well. That's also, you know, to some people that's eugenics, which is a little bit of a, a weird subject. Uh, right. So I'm not entirely certain if that's something they want to go with. But I, I, I do, going back to the email, really like the idea of different dogs corresponding to different biomes. So I'm kind of on the fence about this one, because while it might not be realistic from a real-world perspective... In game, it's super cool. I would love some like Saint Bernards or Bernese Mountain Dogs to show up in my ski resort project, you know, as, yeah. as like rescue dogs for the ski village. So it it it's kind of a double edged situation, really, for me. I well, I I kind of wonder whether they could do it with the breeding idea. Like rather than finding a Bernese Mountain Dog in the mountains, you find find the wolf as you would expect in in early Minecraft, uh, like early days Minecraft play. But then if you bred two wolves together in that biome i think that would be an interesting mechanic because again yeah. it would encourage that that venture out um i don't know if we want to get into crossbreeding like if i breed a wolf and a pig <laughs> do i get a pug like <laughs> yeah, that's that a, would be there's so be so odd. many I mean, odd combinations there is some odd combinations but we're also talking about a world that has like um phantoms and shulker boxes so i like i don't know <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm it, not sure it's the it's the line you want to cross between reality and fantasy and yeah. how much it kind of adds to the game but yeah i i think yeah. i have a feeling that the rise of different dog breeds in minecraft is inevitable it's just a matter of them settling on the how? right way yeah. of doing it yeah i am very curious to see if and when and how they sort that out because it, it uh, it's uh, probably going to be a very mojang way which is i mean true to form um <laughs> but yeah uh and and i guess they would i mean they've set the precedent now somebody's dog has to be in minecraft right because um scars cat jelly yes yeah yeah, yeah. in there so yeah dog owners let us know um yeah so yeah thanks for the email i i really i really like that and it you sort of saying what uh what kind of dogs do we get in different biomes has made me think what does a what does a um a nether dog look like if we're looking at the nether update right now does it have three heads um what does a dog from the end look like you know this sort of weird floating dog or something a dog that teleports everywhere i mean they do already i guess if they're following you but uh, yeah, certainly pause for thought, no pun intended. Um, without that, though, I think it's probably time to uh, move on to our main topic, uh, which is what I'm calling the rise and fall of zero tick farms. <laughs> Although we're going to be discussing zero tick farms changing, fish farms, and a little bit of the other associated kind of stuff that is lumped in with these as a category, looking at gameplay exploits that may not be intended mechanics, but are still used quite heavily in the current technical game. Um, so let's let's do a bit of our own background with these. Um, do you use zero tick farms or AFK fish farms very much? Do you use stuff like TNT duplication? How common is that with your day to day gameplay on the Citadel? So the zero tick farms are new enough that we didn't need them uh, because the 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 Citadel has been so old in terms of a three year old world that like I I have all the sugarcane that I needed for books. You know, like yeah. I I didn't need to bamboo grows fast enough that I just didn't think to create a zero tick farm um and my first thought would have been to do like a, a traditional kind of like piston powered farm for bamboo yeah uh, sorry um a like a, a traditional redstone non-zero tick uh, piston farm similar to like a, a traditional sugarcane farm uh, so it never really entered into my space to do it because we didn't need the resources for it yeah uh we also have a couple of blaze like we have a couple of double blaze spawners so i don't need bamboo for smelting either um now for fish farms I built one. I remember wrestling with it, but I also remember wrestling with villagers before 114 mm -hmm. and thinking like, yeah, this is, I don't have time for this. 
I'm going to build an AFK fish farm. I've been thinking about it, whether or not I should or not, blah, blah, blah. But I just, I'm done. I need some mending, you know? Uh, and so um, I built an AFK fish farm in my swamp. Uh, it was next to a zombie spawner. So I was AFKing for the zombie as well as, you know, um, yeah. doing some AFK fishing. I used it for four hours. I know for sure I may have done that twice, but the pure volume of stuff that I then had to sort through and and utilize uh, meant that I didn't have to use it since. Yeah. So, uh, the, like, I've got, I want to say it's like two walls of 12 chests on each wall, 12 double chests on each wall. Now, some of them are filled with crap that I don't need. But, like, you know, the puffer fish were, come, came in handy for um, when we cleared the Guardian Temple, the Ocean Monument. Um, I don't think I've crafted a new bow in ages because <laughs> whenever my current bro bow breaks because i don't use mending on my bows uh i just go back to my fish farm i grab three or four of them i go to the enderman farm grind up a bunch of levels and i just combine everything until it's a full powered you know whatever bow i want mm-hmm. and i i'm slowly and surely going to run out of that eventually um but i'm at a point now at endgame where i can just build a bow and enchant it and probably get <laughs> where yeah. I want to go anyway. So it's, it's three, like, I it's don't three sticks yeah. and a bit of string. It's not expensive. Yeah. No, exactly. And so I don't, I don't necessarily need all of the things. And now with the way that villager mechanics work, you can set up and selectively, um, I would say almost to a point where it's just as overpowered as AFK fishing, um, with the point that you just, you have to be engaged in the game. You can't do it when you're not there, but yeah, like the, the fact that you can get a mending trade for one emerald reliably I, I'm on the fence more about that being overpowered. Yeah. Um, I, I agree that zero tick farms for the fishes and for the plant growth that were outlined in the changes this week in the snapshot, I think they're OP. Uh, yeah. I, I think that um, it makes sense for content creators that have limited time. And like, if you don't have to spend hours and hours making a giant bamboo farm to make your super smelter, which is the real prize of the video, it makes sense to use a zero tick. And if I was doing that kind of stuff, I would be using them too. Um, but uh, I also, I also, I can see where um, Moyang is coming from. I also appreciate the fact that they're not just wiping out zero tick altogether, right? Yes. They're they're just changing how it affects plant growth and how they how fish farms are working. It's not, uh, it's not just a blanket nerf. It's a very selective. Well, this is what's wrong with it, and this is people are doing some really cool things with zero tick farms, but we don't necessarily want to take all of that from people because they're not really breaking the rules. They're, they're using the in-game mechanics to their advantage and doing something quite, uh, quite, you know, useful. Yeah. Uh, the, good, the, you know. the super fast piston movement is not what's going away. No. It's the, it's the bug that was forcing a growth stage to happen to any adjacent plants or any plants, which had those blocks removed from underneath them. Um, mm-hmm which actually included the new weeping and twisted vines that you're finding in the nether now. Right. Um, yeah, in yeah, the snapshots. Yeah. So so that was kind of significant as well. Uh, yeah. By the way, this also affects so-called shaky sand farms, which are another way of um, yeah growing this stuff. Um, effectively, yeah, the, the, the thing that is changing is the growth updates and the plants checking nearby blocks in order to decide whether or not they can grow and needed to grow, I think, mm-hmm. is how it works. I'm, the, the bug reports are, are in the show notes once again. Um, and yeah, I, I have definitely used my share of zero tick farms. I mean, right now, all of the stone that is coming for, for my mountain project is coming from a cobblestone generator using TNT duplication. And then the furnaces that are smelting it down into natural stone for me are 
bamboo generators, which are all zero tick things. There's four of them all working in tandem, providing bamboo to maybe, you know, 12 furnaces. Bamboo is the least efficient fuel in the game. It needs four bamboo to smelt one item. So the fact that they have to produce it in such large quantities, and the, the only reason I can use that much bamboo is because it's generating a whole bunch of bamboo. However, people have been asking me, what are you going to do when that goes away? And I have a whole lot of responses to that. I can do mm -hmm. so much. You can get buckets of lava, which aren't great. They don't stack. Uh, they will smelt a hundred things at a time, though. So as a fuel source, they last for a while. And then you just have buckets outputting into your output chest along with all of the stuff you've smelted. You can have blaze rods, which I now have a double blaze spawner set up using pathfinding to channel them into a single space. A looting sword will get me a ton of blaze rods. And before I know it, I have a double chest of the things. They smelt 10 things at a time. Um, you know, kelp, now that you know, kelp is no longer zero tickable, but I have a pretty sizable kelp farm already, that can be turned into dried kelp. In smokers, it'll be twice as fast, and then you can craft that into kelp blocks, which smelt a whole bunch of stuff at the same time. There are coal blocks. There is still, I believe, a mechanic that allows you to duplicate carpets, uh, which are still usable as furnace fuel. Now, there's, there's so many different options. I could turn one arm of my cobblestone generator into a wood farm, and then the smelters would constantly be processing wood, turning it into charcoal, and the charcoal could be recycled back into the furnaces. You know, there's so many different things, and so just the fact that zero ticking stuff is going away, it's an adaptation, it's not a remove. It's like I have to work around the problem, and that is a fun challenge for me, rather than it just being like, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home now because these zero tick farms are no longer possible. Yeah, working um, around the challenge is, is gameplay. It's exactly content, that is, right? yeah. it's, it's giving That's, you stuff to yeah. do. Yeah, if anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I've, I felt the same way when I built my. Uh, you're using it as a cobblestone generator. I'm using the, my zero tick piston set up for a concrete maker, um, yes. which is powered by TNT, but I'm using a dispenser uh, and, and a, a traditional crafted TNT as, an, a, as a test. Um, I know that the Citadel is not as busy as other multiplayer servers, and I thought, well, I could just build a TNT duper, but I've not done that before. It looks really complicated. I really don't want to blow this thing up. So I decided to go with a traditional dropper as a bit of a test to see like, well, how much sand and how, like, how much TNT am I going to really need mm -hmm. in this build? Um, turns out it's a lot. Uh, you have to, my last test was eight stacks of concrete powder, uh, which is virtually lossless. It was a double test. I was testing for the farm for loss as well. So I smelted, or I didn't smelt, I turned all eight stacks of concrete powder into concrete. There was already a bit of concrete in the maker, and then there was a bit of concrete in the maker afterwards. So I kind of took that as like a roundup into eight stacks. Mm -hmm. uh, but it used between 24 and 26 uh, ignitions of TNT. Yeah. And there's four bits of, four bits of sand? Four bits of sand in every TNT. Yeah. So like that's, a, that's, a, that's adding a lot of sand to um to your already sand heavy concrete yeah not to mention you know, that gunpowder is also used for fireworks which are used for elytra flights so there are so yeah. many reasons to have like a high output gunpowder farm output, yeah which i'm yeah. fine with like a high output gun like gunpowder being renewable is fine uh it's it's not the gunpowder that i'm worried about it's the pain in the butt of going to the desert and spending yes. like the first 90 minutes of my next stream just bucketing sand yeah. like that i mean i mean it's a fun way to chat with the community but it's not how i want to play the game um 
And so I'm probably going to, as the city expands and I realize just how big these buildings are, I'm probably going to install a TNT uh, duplicator. Um, and I couldn't find the quote, but you did for me because my Reddit was down this morning. Um, but uh, Slice Lime had said in a Reddit thread, uh, we're a fair ways off from that regarding uh, removing TNT duplication. While fishing farms and zero tick farms were pure exploits that didn't need replacements, lily pads aside, TNT dupers fill a slot in the game that in uh, that the intended game mechanics still cannot. Uh, and that's that's where I am with it. And I, I was think after thinking about that, I was like, give me a way to farm sand. And I would rather do that. I, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to say that TNT duplication is quote unquote cheaty. It's in the game. It works. It's, it's a technical thing that, that some very smart people have figured out how to do. And I think it's an excellent way to save resources on multiplayer servers and keep deserts from being completely decimated and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But uh, sand is just very difficult to get otherwise. And uh, we've talked about, uh, I believe, what's the name? Of the, is it Dr. Who's the guy that does the Skyblock map? Uh, Dr. Trog. Dr. Trog. So Dr. Trog in that map, granted it's not fast, there are ways to get sand from uh, husks if you, if you farm husks. Uh, I think that might be a little bit slow for vanilla, but if you gave me a way to farm sand, either by collecting gravity blocks faster or a way to get sand as a drop from like a husk or maybe all desert mobs dropping sand. What if sandstone broke down into sand? Um, if you could somehow collect erosion of sand from Mesa, it's pie in the sky in that last one. But like mm -hmm. just any alternative way for a, a, a block that is so versatile in terms of turning it into glass, turning it into stained glass, you know, using it in concrete, using it in TNT, uh, using it to grow things like cactus and um, sugarcane. Like, crafting sandstone like for larger sandstone craft, builds. There, crafting sandstone, there you go. Like if, if you could have it be uh, more renewable, I'm not saying it has to be easy. I want to point that out. But like if I have to build a giant sand farm to power this city, I'm building a giant, giant sand farm. Mm -hmm. like, and that would be fun for me. So I know I know that that might not be fun for other people. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting kind of conundrum i i feel it the same way about the tnt duplicator that i feel about the roof of the nether and that i know it's available i know i can do it i would just rather not and yeah. that's just a that's a subjective personal thing i'm not saying that people that do uh do that are are you know are, i'm not saying that's a bad thing because some of the coolest content i've seen was built above the nether you know so it like i get that i'm just i it, it's it's better to have options i guess is all i'm saying yeah, uh, you mentioned the Slice Lime quote, and I want to go back to some other stuff he said in the Reddit thread for this snapshot in particular, because uh, these are a couple of quotes that I think really uh, put to rest some of the misconceptions that the community has about Mojang whenever they make changes to mechanics like this. And I'm going to quote this here. He says, we're not removing these options for players because they're farms. They're being removed because the ratio of efforts to reward is out of balance for these contraptions in particular. I know there's a popular view that Mojang dislikes farms and automation. This is not true. What is important to us is that the game remains balanced and true to its core ideals. That is, huge efforts bringing stellar rewards. The flip side of which is that very little effort also brings relatively small rewards. End quote. And I think that's kind of where I am with this whole thing as well. I, I agree with zero tick crop growth and fish farms being removed for the sake of balance. And even though I mostly play single player, I don't like AFKing for resources very much. I prefer 
the approach of building a large-scale farm with high output. There are only one or two ways you can design a zero-tick farm because of the way that mechanic works. It has to be like blocks shifting around a certain way. There are certain ways that you trigger the pistons to, to move them. And it doesn't need more than that. Uh, whereas there are exponentially more ways you can set up larger scale farms, even like the kind of basic piston and observer sugarcane towers that we're all used to making. You can arrange those in a whole variety of ways, and that encourages creative approaches to the problem and also encourages players to build some cool stuff around them. Whereas I don't know anybody who's even made a surrounding for their zero tick AFK farm. It's just like out there in the open because it feels so temporary almost like it feels like the kind of thing that they've just thrown together so that they can quickly generate some resources it feels not so permanent and i kind of like having some farms that you can dress up into large scale buildings and make them into a part of your world that way instead of just a relatively ugly redstone contraption that's just there because it has to be mm. um so I, i'm kind of much more in favor of people finding creative solutions to these things and i agree that the output is absurd for the relatively few amount of resources you're putting into it and the same goes for fish farms and call me dull but i actually enjoy manual fishing in minecraft um especially on twitch streams it kind of gives you an opportunity to have a change of pace interact with the chat you relax a bit more it's kind of like everyone right now is playing animal crossing which is a very slow paced relaxing game and i kind of feel that way about fishing in minecraft give or take the fact that the night cycle means that the the, the monsters come out really quickly unless the area is well lit um, it's really relaxing to just hang out and fish. And I feel like more people should take advantage of that. The problem, of course, being most of the, the people are fishing in order to get a very specific enchanted book that you can't get from an enchanting table. Um, but I rarely used AFK fishing. Um, if Minecraft is running, I want to be playing it for a start, which is why I don't really like the AFK side of things. But um, yeah. I, I AFK I've... at things like the Creeper Farm or. Uh like mob farms were like you know you're out of bone meal and yeah you're just you know you got a skeleton grinder or um i will sometimes be playing and then need to go repair some items i usually do this on stream now but as a way to chat with the the twitch chat but like if i'm going through some stuff and doing some background back when i was you know doing some more play off twitch uh doing the dishes i would park myself at the um, spider spawner or the enderman farm and fix my stuff but i would just like walk over to the computer every five minutes just like click the mouse just to swipe the sword you know mm -hmm. stuff like that but i yeah i i i'm the same way like i didn't it when i was doing the afk fishing and i was here i was in the room i was doing other work i was probably working on some artwork or something like that and it was kind of like a test it was like let's run it let's see if i can do this did i learn how to build it right did it work what did it get me like how often am i going to have to afk at this and i remember being shocked when i turned around to check that like oh this has been running for four hours holy nuggets i have a lot of things in this chest yeah you know like and i and i because i didn't expect that kind of output um you can still afk fish it's just not it's not very rewarding it's just that all you get is fish you you miss out on the right. treasure loot table if the bobber detects that there is some stuff around it restricting it and i will point out that the community ingenious as always that the community is has already found ways around this um il mango showcased an afk fish farm designed by methods of the cycraft server that circumvents the restrictions by effectively just building a slightly more complex version of existing AFK fish farms above a 5x5 pool of water where your bobber just drops into the pool of water. 
and you still get treasure that way because the bobber itself is what detects whether or not there are blocks and obstructions around you. Uh, with the caveat that this was six times slower than previous designs, I think probably because there were blocks directly above the spot where he was fishing. So fishing, if it's not open to the sky, if you're doing it like underground somewhere, is a lot slower. You don't get as many as many bites as frequently. Um, but then Ilmango linked in the description of that video to another design by Tuno2Name, who is another Psycraft member, who showcased a design where you have to create a floating water source to begin with, so you effectively create a water source that doesn't have, it hasn't been updated, there are no kind of um, block updates that have meant it starts flowing in any different direction, so a, a single cube of water floating in the sky uh, with hopper minecarts stacked underneath it and a boat wedged in between them so the bobber has something to land on and doesn't go anywhere from there. And that worked just as well, and I think it had better rates. So there's, there are already people trying to find creative solutions to that, which, once again, maybe up the effort that's being put into making an AFK fish farm in the first place. And it kind of makes you wonder quite how many restrictions Mojang is going to have to put in place to completely eliminate this behavior. But I think it also it complicates the situation to an extent that the average person is not going to be able to just pop down a, a fence, a pressure plate, and an iron trap door or whatever the current one is, and just yeah. waterlog that and go to town. It's going I, to be a little bit more complex than that. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things where it's like the law of least effort, right? Like, yes. I could do all that that the Psycraft folks did, more I could just trade with a villager. You know, like you did, yes. if I want the mending books, whoever wants the things. And I think that the combination of m removing these mechanics as they currently are in the game but also over the last couple of versions of the game uh, add in uh, mechanics that allow you to do the same thing um, and removing one of the game mechanics that I don't like, which is the random stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, it, that to me creates a, a more interesting way of doing things. Like I haven't had to re-enchant, <clears throat> excuse me, any gear for a long time. Uh, and when I do, I think I'm going to attempt to combine gear from villagers rather than taking my chances on a uh on a uh, enchanting table and then yeah. uh, using using a grindstone to remove all the enchants and all that kind of stuff. I I kind of want to see what it would be like to just to like work my way through some villager trades to see what I could get. Uh that could be kind of fun in terms of both the combinations of like librarians and then um blacksmiths and that sort of thing. Yeah. It it would be interesting. Uh and then you have that setup as long as you're not, you know, restarting your world, you have that set setup for the foreseeable future yeah and i'm 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 really into villager trading in general and villager trading is has never been easier than it is right now if it just becomes like about breaking and replacing a lectern until you get the book you want great like mm -hmm. i'm i'm all about that like you said earlier it encourages the player to still be participating in the game instead of just walking away from their computer and i think that there was even a, a moment elsewhere in the reddit thread where slice lime said like it's absurd to want a game mechanic or like whatever unintended consequence of the game's code that encourages you to get a lot of reward for not playing the game yeah exactly um, so so that's kind of the approach they're taking really is like afk stuff maybe in terms of like these big farms once you have done a bunch of gameplay and you can stand there and make sure that this farm just keeps running in the background great if you've if you put a lot of effort into it in the first place then sure you should be allowed to stand there and reap the rewards whereas if you just put four or five blocks down in a bucket of water and suddenly you're able to acquire stuff which is very valuable to players long term 
then yeah, that seems a little bit much. Um, we are obviously going to be opening this up to our new email address, uh, spawnchunkmail at gmail.com for your opinions. And it would be really interesting to read a couple of opinions about this on the next show. Uh, we do have one more show, I believe, left in the month of March. We're going to be back here March 30th. So I hope you guys will look forward to that and send us your opinions to that new email address. But that's about all we've got time for for this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud, as always, to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in if your means allow you to. You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat and gets us closer to our future milestone goals. We're currently at 164 patrons and we want to give special thanks to our content engineers Cameron Sigelski, Greena Canuck, JD Williamson and Yitz for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at the Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram but personal recommendations to your friends is by far the best way to share the podcast. Uh, it really does help podcasts grow and brings in new listeners when someone that you trust recommends this content. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. What's that new email again? It's spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. <laughs> got a broken record about it at this point, but uh, yep. we're getting used to it still. Exactly. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, and Spotify. We're also on YouTube. You can find the RSS feed linked on the spawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, and that is where you can listen to the extended version of the podcast, The Render Distance. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I stream three days a week on Twitch, where mountain building and dwarf fortress making is continuing apace. And I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. If you're interested in hiring me, then just drop me a line there. Pretty busy over the next few weeks, but uh, it's always good to get in line if you're looking to get some custom artwork. Uh, so that's joelduggan.com. The Citadel Cafe is where myself and Johnny are going to be hanging out this week, talking about Dungeons and Dragons with my friend mm. Megan Townsend. Excited. It's be a lot of fun. Looking yeah, me to too. Uh, you can find that at thecitadelcafe.com or wherever you find podcasts under the same name. Uh, and of course, I am Joel Duggan on all social media. Super easy to find. I'm going to point you towards Twitch, and that is twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but for now, we'll stay indoors. <laughs>